welcome to the Greenwood Forest Podcast. I'm your host, Stephen Stacks. This is the first of four episodes on a topic that is near and dear to our hearts here at Greenwood Forest, and that is inclusive theology. At Greenwood Forest, one of the values that guides our congregation is inclusivity. So over the next four episodes of the podcast, we're going to explore what that means in detail. It's our hope that As we become clearer about what we mean by calling ourselves an inclusive community of faith, that we will embrace more fully God's call on our community. I also hope that this four-part series will be useful for other communities who are seeking to become truly inclusive. So as a little bit of a preview, we're going to talk generally about the gospel imperative to be an inclusive community, and then we'll dive into some specific areas of inclusion in the following weeks. Uh, That will include LGBTQ plus inclusion, racial and ethnic inclusion, um, gender inclusion, and disability inclusion. We'll be approaching these areas from the standpoint of constructing a positive theology. So um, we're not really going to be doing a lot of deconstructing of exclusive theology. Um, We won't spend significant time debunking racist, homophobic, sexist, and ableist interpretations of scripture. Um, We will do a little bit of that when it's necessary, but the overall focus is going to be on constructing a positive theology of inclusion. However, if you need further resources to deconstruct those toxic theologies, we would love for you to reach out and we'll get those resources to you. We have a bibliography for this series that has lots of great stuff on it that you can read, um, and you can find that uh, on the website. Uh, So, for this first session... Um, the general gospel imperative of inclusion, we're going to start with scripture, the foundational scripture really for the church, but also for inclusion, and that is Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as of fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem. And at this sound the crown gathered and was bewildered because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, in our own languages we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my Spirit upon all flesh. 
and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. So those who welcomed his message were baptized. And that day about 3,000 persons were added. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Awe came upon everyone, because many wonders and signs were being done by the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They would sell their possessions and goods and distribute the proceeds to all, as any had need. Day by day, as they spent much time together in the temple, they broke bread at home and ate their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having the goodwill of all people. And day by day the Lord added to their number those who were being saved. So the first point that I want to make to you about this passage is what the Holy Spirit does in regards to language. Language is really important and foundational for people's culture. And so whenever language is discussed, it's really um, important to, to focus in on that um, because language uh, is how you learn to love a people, um, is to learn their language. It's how you really get to know. Um, certain things can only be expressed about a culture um, in their own language. And so um, whenever language... Uh, is discussed in scripture, we should pay special attention to that. And this passage has one of the most famous um, examples of language um, being discussed in scripture. And so what I want to hone in on is that when the disciples are gathered and the spirit falls on them, the spirit gives them the ability to speak in all the other languages of the people who have gathered to see what is going on. Now, it would have been just as easy for the Spirit to translate the disciples speaking in their own tongues, um, in their in their native tongue, to all those who have gathered. So the Spirit could have um, let the disciples continue to speak in their native tongue and then translated that to everyone else who was gathered so that those folks heard in their own languages. But that's not what the text says. The text says the disciples were given the ability by the Spirit to speak in the languages of all those who were gathered. This is really important because what it means is that the Spirit moves us not towards assimilation, but towards celebration of difference. Um, there is no assimilation in this passage. Those who are gathered from all over the earth are not required to assimilate to the disciples' culture, to what the disciples' expectations are, but they are welcomed and gathered into the community and celebrated for their differences. And then the passage moves on in Peter's great sermon here, uh, where he recalls the words of the prophet Joel and says that uh, in those days, God's spirit will be poured out on all flesh. It makes it a point to say sons and daughters, young and old, slaves, men and women shall prophesy. God's spirit will be poured out on all, 
all will be included in the new vision of who God's people are to be. And then what follows is a redistribution of wealth. The disciples include all people into their new community and make sure that all needs are met. Back in 2013, our congregation voted on a set of core values that would guide our life together. And one of those core values states, our goal as a church is to become an authentic community of Christians who seek to love and care for each other like a family and whose members reflect the beauty of our changing world. In order to meet that goal, we are openly welcoming and inclusive of all people in the diversity of their ages, races, genders, ethnicities, sexualities, disabilities, and backgrounds. We believe that all people have important gifts to share with our church and have a place in God's family. I want to draw out a couple aspects of this core value as we begin our discussion. First, it emphasizes that being an authentic community where all people can share their gifts is important. One requirement of true inclusion is that people who have been historically excluded must be able to fully be themselves for inclusion, inclusion to be real. Second, this value explicitly states that our desire is to reflect the diversity of God's world within our church community. Lastly, the core value states it lists the identities and categories on which this inclusion will focus. Age, race, gender, ethnicity, sexuality, disability, background. Notice that it does not say ideology, political affiliation, job, etc., This is intentional. Voluntary associations such as political parties and jobs are not the same as identities such as race, sexual orientation, gender, etc. Inclusion is about repairing the breach created by exclusion of people because of their identities. In order to do that, some opinions and ideologies must be disciplined and eradicated from the community. A space cannot be inclusive, for instance, of LGBTQ people if homophobia goes unchecked within the community. Along those same lines, the inclusivity's emphasis must be on historically excluded groups for it to be effective. The Oxford English Dictionary defines inclusivity as the practice or policy of providing equal access to opportunities and resources for people who might otherwise be excluded or marginalized, such as those having physical or intellectual disabilities or belonging to other minority groups. If you truly want to be inclusive, people who have been historically excluded must be prioritized. Their voices must be lifted up. Power must be redistributed to them. I want to now distinguish between being an inclusive community of faith from being a welcoming community or even a welcoming and affirming community. These are all words that you will hear churches use But sometimes churches use them without clarity as to the ways that they are putting them into practice. Uh, So when I hear the word welcoming, um, what that typically means for a church is that all people are implicitly or explicitly encouraged to attend, but that welcome uh, is often surface level only. There may be unclear or unexpressed policies or practices that exclude some from full participation. There may be no acknowledgement or a downplaying of difference, uh, what we sometimes call colorblindness in uh, in racial terms, even while implicit biases and practices maintain hierarchies. There is almost always an assimilationist ethic at play. You're welcome here, 
but you're expected to fit our mold. You're expected to, to hide or downplay your distinctiveness, your identity. Um, as the uh, website Church Clarity states, ambiguity is harmful in this circumstance. Many, many, many people um, have gone to, a, to churches that claim to be welcoming only uh, to be traumatized later by finding out that they're actually not affirmed, not included, and really not welcome in that space, as they are. Uh, affirming communities, um, often the phrase you'll hear together, welcoming and affirming, acknowledging that simply saying you're welcoming is not enough. Um, but affirming communities uh, give full-throated affirmation of the belovedness of all God's children. But I have found that they may sometimes stop short of integrating people from diverse and excluded groups into leadership in the life of the community. Old exclusionary policies may be discarded, but uh, oftentimes few boundaries are erected to ensure that people from historically excluded groups can flourish in that community. People are affirmed in word, but maybe not all the way in action. And so this is where the term inclusive comes into play. An inclusive church is a church that is both welcoming and affirming, but takes that next step of ensuring that people from previously excluded groups are fully included into the life of the church. That requires several things. One, it requires the discarding of policies and practices that have the effect of excluding people from historically marginalized groups. And notice that I say that have the effect of, not the intention of, um, it doesn't matter what the intention of your policies and your practices are. It matters what effect they have. So if the policy or practice has the effect of exclusion, it needs to be discarded. Uh, second, the writing and continual reevaluation of new policies and practices that are clear in their inclusion of historically excluded groups. Third, the intentional cultiva uh, cultivation of visibility, representation, and leadership from groups that have been historically excluded. This also includes giving those voices an outsized role in congregational conversation and visioning. And this is often what rankles people. Um, but that outsized role must happen in order to right the wrong, in order to right-size the ship. And lastly, being truly inclusive requires the willingness to define boundaries and enact discipline against behavior that oppresses or excludes. If you don't do this, all is lost. Jesus was not pleasant to people who practice exclusion. I want to dwell on that last point for, for just a minute, um, really for the rest of this first episode, because I think it's really, really important for progressive uh, and liberal churches to understand why boundaries and discipline are uh, necessary if you really want to be inclusive. Um, there's, uh, there's a philosophical principle called um, the paradox of tolerance. Uh, and what that says is that unlimited tolerance will lead to the destruction of the tolerant um, and tolerance with them. If behaviors and ideologies are destructive of people's existence and their well-being, then tolerating those things are, is violent and deadly. A church that strives to be inclusive must get beyond the idea that all behaviors and all ideologies can be tolerated, or they will be complicit in destroying the very people they hope to include. Deadly behaviors and ideologies must be called out and disciplined 
by the community. Now, what that looks like on the ground, I think, has to be discerned and decided by individual faith communities. But there must be some kind of boundary setting and discipline enacting within the community to um, call out or call in people who uh, may express racist, homophobic, sexist, um, ableist, uh, etc. behaviors and, and, and ideologies. I want to make one more point about the difference between diversity and inclusion. Um, Some historically white churches want to be diverse, but on their own terms. Uh, They want a diverse coalition of people to come to their uh, church. They want to appear diverse, sometimes simply to massage their own ego. Um, But they want those people to assimilate to the current culture or way of doing things. That is not inclusive. That's colonialist. And in fact, it it belies uh, cultural racism that that must be eradicated. We definitely don't want to be that. Um, Diversity is simply the state of having a variety of people. um, And that definition of variety often depends on the way those in power want to define it. Uh, Inclusivity is the practice of including, integrating into the community as fully themselves, amplifying those marginalized voices to account for previous exclusion, giving over power. Uh, to people who might otherwise be historically, um, otherwise be or historically have been excluded. To be truly inclusive, people who come must be safe and comfortable to be their full selves, and also to have their difference embraced and not questioned. They should not be asked to assimilate to the institutional culture as it is, uh, but they should be welcomed in, um, and the, the institutional culture must be willing to change with the people it is including. So what does all this mean uh, for those who are not part of an historically excluded group? Our context is that we are a historically and predominantly white congregation um, in a suburb of Raleigh. Uh, And the majority of the people right now who attend Greenwood Forest do not claim a marginalized identity. Um, Most people here are uh, cis, white, heterosexual. Um, And so... Uh, even though our our diversity is growing um, and different groups are finding a home here and belonging here, um, what does this mean for those other folks who are not part of historically excluded, excluded groups? Um, sometimes privileged people get upset about um, this emphasis on including historically excluded people. But the good news is y'all are still included but you will have to make room for other people and welcome the discomfort that comes from including others and letting them change you and the institution. I want to really press on the fact that a privileged person's discomfort is not the same as exclusion. You cannot let people equate these things. Your discomfort at having to include someone is not equal to the exclusion and trauma that people have experienced at the hands of the church. Having to make room for others to safely exist is in no way uh, equal to oppression. Now, there is biblical support for this idea. Um, There's several passages, actually, that I think uh, speak to this. The first one is um, Mark chapter 5, verses 21 through 43. I'm not going to read that passage, but this is the passage um, where Jairus, um, a... uh, a wealthy 
we assume wealthy man um, who was a temple official comes um, to Jesus uh, and asks him to heal his child. Um, and as they are on their way, uh, a hemorrhaging woman touches Jesus's robe and Jesus stops um, and listens to her whole story um, and heals her. And as he's doing this, Jairus's daughter dies. Um, now, uh, when Jairus's daughter dies, uh, Jesus continues on to Jairus's house anyway and goes into her room and heals her, resurrects her, really. Um, uh, and the point of this passage, I think, is that while we often assume in our society that there is not enough, uh, the myth of scarcity is is what our culture believes to be the truth, um, that there is only enough for some people and therefore we must hoard, uh, we must uh, do violence to others in order to get what we need to survive, that if we include everyone, there won't be enough. Um, There are passages all over scripture that debunk this myth of scarcity, but this passage about Jairus' daughter speaks specifically to to privilege, Jairus' privilege, and Jesus' willingness to focus in on the hemorrhaging woman at the, really at what it seems to be is at the expense of Jairus and his daughter, but then what we find out by the end of the passage is that, no, there is enough. There is enough with God for everyone. The next passage I want to draw your attention to is Luke chapter 15, and this is the story of the prodigal son. Um, It's a well-known story. I'm not going to go over the whole story, but the character I want to focus in on is the older brother, because I think he uh, is a good analog for um, some of these folks who may feel well, um, I'm not a part of one of these historically excluded groups um, and may be tempted to react like the older brother when new people are welcomed into the community. If you'll recall, uh, once the prodigal son returns, the father um, kills the fatted calf and and throws a party for him. Uh, And the older brother comes in from working and, and says, what's going on here? You've never done this for me and I've been here all along. And what does the father say to the older son? All I have is already yours, but we had to celebrate because your younger brother was lost and now he is found. And I don't mean to suggest by bringing this up that people who have been historically excluded are lost in some way. I don't mean to equate that aspect of this story. But what is important about this story is this tension between those who have always been in the community and those who are being welcomed into it. Um, And to point out that what Jesus says in this parable uh, is that there is a room for all uh, and that the the older brother is not losing anything by welcoming in his younger brother. Jesus uh, really hits this point quite a bit, including um, earlier in that same chapter, the parable of the lost sheep, where Jesus says, would, you know, the, the, the shepherd leaves the 99 in the field unattended to seek after the one. Um, and that's the same kind of uh, thing we're talking about here. That's it for this first episode. Um, next time we're going to discuss LGBTQ cl- uh, plus inclusion. Um, And I think you're uh, really going to find that episode fascinating. Um, 
We'll also uh, include an interview or two from um, from folks who have had experiences with churches uh, trying to find an inclusive church um, as a queer person and uh, to relate to you what that um, journey is like. Uh, so stay tuned for episode two of Inclusive Theology. This is the Greenwood Forest Podcast. I'm Stephen Stacks.